Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. And that is for a lot of folks, a lot of the relationships are pretty shallow. It's easy to kind of drift and go through life where, you know, hey man, what's your name? I, I don't know, you got one, I'm sure, and... We don't want to really do theology, and I'm sure you've got problems, but we'll show up on Sunday, smile, shake hands, and that's good. But that's not good, is it? And so that's going to lead kind of into what we're talking about here on Life Group Sunday. I'm going to share just for a few moments this morning about our Life Group and a little bit of our our philosophy behind it and why we think it's important. And then at at the end of the service, I'll dismiss you, and I'm going to give you some directions, and some people are going to come to these tables, and you'll see what's going to take place And it'll give you a chance to meet some of our life group leaders. And if you aren't in one, to hopefully find a life group or begin to take the steps to do that. But as we talk about life groups, one of the things I want to talk about, you can go ahead and put up the next screen. Hopefully it has the little pictures on it. It may or may not. If it doesn't, that's okay. So far, so good, you know. If it pops up there, well. If it doesn't, life groups, we kind of look at, I look at discipleship, I'll use an illustration, there was a picture, but if you don't have it, hopefully you can follow along because there's only three things to think about. It's like the life cycle of a plant. You take a seed, if you have a seed and you put it on the shelf, it doesn't do anything, does it? It'll just sit there like a seed for years, for decades. But if you take that same seed and you put it in the right environment, you put it in the ground with some water, what happens? It grows, it begins to grow. And just like a person, if you're out there just drifting along in this world, message of the gospel, a lost person drifting along in this world. But if you get in the right environment, you hear the message of the gospel and you respond to the message of the gospel, you repent of your sins, you turn to Jesus Christ, like we have been looking at week after week in the gospel of John, you become a believer and you get in the right environment, a church body, you're on the path to discipleship. You're on the path to becoming someone completely different than you were before that moment, becoming a disciple of Christ. And so as that plant begins to grow, what happens next? It forms roots and it begins to have a trunk or a stem and leaves. It looks totally different, doesn't it? I I used to grow some things. I grow plants in the garden, tomatoes, whatever. The little seed goes in the ground. It looks totally different as it grows. Well, just the same way as a Christian becomes a follower, a disciple of Christ, they get to grow more and more. They look different, don't they? They should behave different. The way they spend their money is different. The way they spend their time. Their priorities are different. And so you begin to change. And one of the primary ways we see that in our church is through the process of life groups. And we'll show that in just a minute. But then the last stage in a plan is what? It produces fruit. If it doesn't produce fruit or something for it to reproduce itself, it's it's failed as a plant. When I would grow things, that was what I wanted to see was the fruit so that I could eat it. But the fruit is the way the plant reproduces itself. And a disciple needs to reproduce. There comes a point in our lives as believers, as we're following Christ, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, reproduce yourself. And as we do that, we make more seeds and the process continues on and on and on. And it's just an easy way to see the process of discipleship. Plant, grow, and go. You get planted, you grow, and you go out into the world. 
And life groups kind of fit that middle part. That's the main way we see growth is through our life groups. And so why do we feel life groups are such an important part of growing? Why do we emphasize this? Why have an entire Sunday to talk about this and have these tables and everything else? Well, I just want to briefly share three reasons. There's other things, but three reasons that I think kind of encompass a lot of it. The first is because of the attacks of Satan. Because of the attacks of Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. All of us have watched those... uh, 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 wildlife videos where they show, you know, the, the herd of wildebeests or the zebras and antelopes. And you're like, some poor zebra is going to be dead in a minute. And there they are. There's this herd. And the lions come up. And when we watch the lions as they're going to attack and try and, and find uh, an animal to eat, they don't ever look for the big, giant, huge wildebeest in the middle of the pack, do they? And say, let's go take out the big guy. No, they always look at the herd and they find that one that's wandered a little too far away. It's off by itself, separated from the protection of the rest of the herd, and they they pounce. And they chase that animal, and they chase that animal away from the herd, further off by itself, because it's over. There's no one else around. And I think Peter, as he uses this illustration in his, his, his letter that he writes, I think he has that picture in mind. It's in a section of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, where he's talking about the church as, as the flock. And he says, listen, the devil is prowling around. He's not just sitting there idly going, oh, oh, well, these people are now, you know, they're saved or whatever. I leave them alone. He's prowling around seeking someone to devour, to destroy. And as I see that in, in church as a pastor who's, who's been a pastor now for well over a decade, the people that I see that, that get picked off, so to speak, are the ones that are on the periphery. They show up once in a blue moon to church, maybe once every two or three weeks. They'll, they'll come, but that's about it. When I was in seminary, I was at a church that had five, 6,000 people. And on Sunday mornings, there were 1,000 people. That was all they ever did. They showed up for the worship service, but they had no other involvement in the church at all. And I remember sitting there as, as the pastors and some of the staff members were talking about, they saw that as a huge problem. Because they had been around long enough, and I have been around long enough to know that if that's the depth that you get, Satan is prowling around looking to take out your witness, to destroy you. Because you don't have a group of people in your life close enough to you. You're kind of like the shallow small group there. You're just kind of drifting along. You know some people's names. You wave hi. But hey, I check off the box on Sunday morning. I've been there. I'm good. We understand that that's not, as the elders, as we feel why life groups are such an important part of growing. It's because of those attacks. We know we we don't want to see that happen to you. And so that's the, the first point, is because of the attacks of Satan. The second point is because of the support of the saints. So how do life groups help? It's fine to say because of the attacks of Satan, but what, what exactly is it about a life group that helps so much? Well, the support of the saints. First, that just simply means, it means more than just being in a life group. In our church, we have about 80% of the people that are members of this church are on a roll in one of our life groups, which is actually really high compared to most churches. It's a really, really good thing. But just because you're on a roll or you show up maybe once in a blue moon doesn't necessarily mean you're in the group. There's some development that needs to take place when you're part of a life group. 
In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you've been in church in any length of time, you hear that phrase, bear one another burdens. You've heard that verse before. And here it's in the context in the, the first verse in that, that I read. If anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. As Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia, he recognizes, listen, there are going to be brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to go through difficulties. Sometimes it's because of sins that they commit. They, they fall short of, of, of the expectations of the Bible. We all sin. And some of those sins are very detrimental. They can cause huge problems. And life groups are one of the areas where, where people can come alongside you and help you through those particular things. But he also says, bear one another's burdens. It's more than just when they're caught up in sin. It's just the burdens of living in our world. I'm always caught with what he says at the end of that. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does he mean there? Fulfill the law of Christ. That sounds like a pretty big deal, doesn't it? I think it goes back to what Jesus said, and then we we find this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. There, when Jesus, he'd been talking with some of the religious leaders, and we have this little exchange. It said, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together and asked him, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Teacher, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is having this exchange with the religious leaders. And one guy asks him a question. All right, man. Tell us, of all of the laws of the Old Testament, all of the, the Mosaic laws, what's the, that's the biggest one? What's the most important one? What's the, the grand poobah, so to speak? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't go, with, with, without Chad, you can't really have any of the other ones. But he adds this. The guy didn't ask for two, but Jesus adds the second one. He said, and the second one is like it. That's the relationship you have with God. But then you also think of the relationship you have with people. Love other people like you love yourself. And then he summed it up and he said, listen, if you really want to know, everything else in the law rests on these two things. If you could fulfill those two things perfectly, you've got it all. Now, nobody ever fulfills those two things perfectly. But Jesus gives this this very quick summation to say, listen, if you want to understand the, the law and the heart of God, what God is all about, love him with everything you have and love other people like you love yourself. That's why I think Paul, when he writes in Galatians, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. You look at other people and the struggles and the difficulties and the heartaches that they go through and the rejoicing that they have and the good things that they go through, you do it right along with them. And only in a small group of people can you really do that. I mean, even a church of 60 or 70 people, at that number of people, there's too many for people to really get to know each other on a fairly intimate basis. And here, that's we're three or four times that many people. There's no way. I'm sure some of the people that, you know, because everybody sits in the same spot that sits over here, you might not even know the people that sit over here. 
You may see them in Kroger and they're like, hey, man, I, it's like the show. Captain, good to see you. You don't know them. But in a small group of people, 12, 14, 16 people or so, you really actually do get to know them. You hear what happened to them during the week. When they share their prayer requests about family members who are lost or maybe a child who has wandered from the faith or a health issue that's going on or if, if, if it needs be a sin that they just are deeply struggling with, they're in a safer place to share those things, to encourage each other. When somebody's in the hospital, there's somebody to visit. One of the greatest things I hear of as a pastor, when I hear somebody's in the hospital and and basically they say, listen, it's great if you go visit, but their life group has already been there, checked on them, taking care of food. It's wonderful. And that happens in those small groups. It's how we support each other. It's such an important part of that growth part of, 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 of being a disciple. And we teach the Bible in those groups. We, we learn outreach, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So two, the first two reasons why are life groups such an important part of growing? The attacks of Satan, the support of the saints, and finally, because of the needs of the world. The needs of the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful... And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. There's two things I want to focus on in these verses. It's really two verbs that kind of form two sides of a coin. The first one is stir up where it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir up is actually a Greek word that really means agitate. If you've ever seen somebody that may be like a beehive and they just take a stick and hit it, which is dumb. Don't do that. But you do something like that, what happens? The bees don't just sit there and go, why did you do that? They come after you, don't you? have agitated them. You've stirred them up to do something. It's the old thing. Don't poke a, or poke a sleeping dog or whatever it is. You don't go up there and, how are you doing when you don't know anything? But here he uses a verb like that to say, listen, stir up agitate one another to love and good works. There's a couple things we get from that. First of all, I mean, that's kind of intense. It's an intense word, but he's saying because a lot of those things don't necessarily come natural. In a small group of people, you get to know each other. You can kind of push each other along a little bit, kind of say, hey, man, are you in the game, in the disciple-making game? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? But he has a second verb a little bit later on where he says, encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. The other side of that is that encouragement side. Is as we stir each other up, we're encouraging each other. I watched college football a little bit yesterday. I actually, you know, I coached a little bit in the morning and watched a soccer game in the afternoon. And after spending most of the day in 105,000 degree heat, I went home and watched a little bit of football. And during one of the games that I was watching, they had one of those little, you know, side pieces about what, what it's like to be on the football team. And it was about one of the players, and he was going to squat, I don't know how much ways, you know, it's where you put the bar on your shoulders and you do this. I can't even do it without my knees. <laughs> they make these noises when I squat down. But anyway, he did, and he had like 400 plates on each side. And so there he was, ready to do this, and around him is the rest of his team. And as he's getting ready, they're all kind of mean, you know, kind of getting in his face. Come on, man, you know, doing all of this stuff, agitating him up to see if he could do this. And then, of course, he gets the weight off. 
and he starts to go down. And going down is the easy part, okay? You can go down real fast. He goes down fast, and they're yelling, and one guy's kind of slapping him on the back, and he starts to go up, and his knees, you know, he's trying to get this 500 pounds of the weight of a dump truck or whatever it is up in the air. And he gets closer and closer, and they're yelling. You can see the guys are starting to bounce in the background, and finally he gets all the way to the top, and he drops the weight. And everybody's excited. They're slapping him on the back. They're screaming, jumping up and down. They are encouraging him. And it's a beautiful picture of what is going on. And one way, they're stirring him up, challenging him. Can you really do this? But they're also right there behind him saying, yeah, we know you can. We're building you up. Now, that's just picking up weight. But in the realm of discipleship, that's what life groups do. We're challenging each other. A lot of people, they're intimidated when it comes to ministry things. Oh, I can't share the gospel. I, I couldn't be involved in children's ministry. I couldn't get up on stage and do music. I couldn't fill in the blank with all of these things. But in these small groups of people, as we get to know each other, we stir each other up. Yes, you can do it. In fact, you need to be doing it. There are all sorts of ministries out there that need more people. We're working on that whole area where the new TV thing is and the the little, that's going to be a missions and ministry and evangelism area where you will have places that will advertise things and brochures of places for you to get involved. And a lot of people are intimidated. But life groups are the place where we come alongside each other and say, "You, you can do this. And encourage each other and build each other up because there's a world out there that God has called us to evangelize. And so it's because of the attacks of Satan, the support of the saints, the needs of the world. It's a place where we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ. We learn more about God through Bible study. We share our struggles with each other. We pray with each other. We spend time together and we reach out to those that that need those kind of places. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Cornerstone Bible Fellowship. Please join us for our full worship service this coming Sunday at 10 a.m. Also, you may listen to any past sermon by going to cbf.us slash sermons and clicking on the link to past sermons.